you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Is Jalen Brown being unfairly criticised? Let's talk about it on today's episode of Green with Envy. What's good, everybody? Greg Manekis here, along with Adam Taylor. We're here to talk about the man, Jalen Brown. Uh, we'll touch on some different topics today, but Jalen Brown's the one that we felt like we needed to uh, touch on right off the jump. A lot of discourse surrounding Jalen Brown since he signed that contract. Um, you know, richest man in NBA history for now. And, you know, the question is, is Jalen Brown living up to the contract? Is he trying too hard to live up to the contract? Is he is he struggling to kind of find his voice within this new high-powered Celtics offense? Greg Manakis here with Adam Taylor. Adam, how are you feeling about JB so far this year? Honestly, man, I'd, I feel like some of the criticism's fair. Most of it seems to just be coming way out of left field. Um, I know that the Jalen Brown kind of situation is arguably the most controversial situation in the Celtics fan base right now. Marcus Smart held that title for a long time, man. Smart went away and it feels like JB just kind of took took that step into that issue. And now there seems to be a massive divide. I feel like there's games where he, he underperforms, games where he overperforms. A lot of the criticism at the minute is based on that left hand, right? The turnovers, the... the the creation aspect of his game or the lack of a creation aspect of his game. Personally, I've been on this train for a long time. I don't think the creation aspect of his game is part of his game. And I feel like what we're seeing this year is the coaching staff are asking him not to be that creating guy, to be more of a shooter, to be more of a slasher. And what we're seeing is there's a little bit of discourse now between people that believe that Brown's taking a step back because of Chris Stapp's Paul Zingas coming in because of Drew and others that feel like he's being shunned out of that position. Like he's not being given an opportunity to develop. I just want, where are you at this? Like, do you feel like he should be creating more? Is he creating enough? Well, it does seem like one of the things that they're going to when Tatum is on the bench is the Jalen Brown and Chris Stapp's pick and roll. Um, it, you know, the numbers with Tatum on the bench this year for everybody are not great. You know, the Tatum's on off splits are crazy, but it does seem like, although when 
Brown is playing with Tatum, he's definitely more in an off-ball role. It does seem like they're at least giving him some reps with Porzingis in the high pick and roll, and he does have a little bit of chemistry with Chris Stapps there. But overall, I do agree that JB is being asked to do a little bit less, um, you know, in his role and. You know, what are, you, what are your thoughts, first of all, on the Chris Stapps and Jalen pick and roll? And then just in general, you know, with with Porzingis, how do you think he's been affecting JB's play? Sorry, I've just pulled up the numbers here. This is with Tatum off the court, Jalen Brown and Chris Stapps on the court. And then so there's only been 100, 107 possessions throughout the season so far with these two guys on the floor together and Tatum sitting on the bench. One thing I will say is that you don't really even start paying any attention to possession data plus minus data until there's at least 100 possessions involved because the average game is 100 possessions. So you average it out of these guys has played a game's worth of possessions together now. They're minus 11.8. So they're scoring on average 107.5 points. They're giving up on average. I've got it here. I've zoomed in a little bit. So Can you zoom out just a tad? So can you explain to me what I'm looking at here? Yeah, so this is your points differential. This is points scored versus points scored against you, right? Okay. So they're scoring on average with Tatum off the floor, Brown and Hunt, Brown and Porzingis together, and then whoever, whatever the other three players are in that combination, gotcha. they're all listed below, right? So overall, they're scoring 107.5 points per 100 possessions, but they're giving up 119.3, which gives them a negative 11.8, which means that they're losing those possessions, those 100 possessions by almost 12 points. Now, is that necessarily on Brown? No. Is it on Porzingis? No. I mean, you look at who they get fitted with around them. Peyton Pritchard's been in a lot of these possessions, as you can see. He's had a really bad start to the season. Um, there's some Brissett minutes here. Sam Howes has been in and out. He only really started picking up over the last four games. But the idea that Brown isn't able to be a creator kind of sits quite well when you go up here and if you remove Porzingis and just filter for Brown on the court and Tatum off the court, in 159 possessions, the team are minus 22.2. They're losing those 100 possessions by more than 20 points per game. Well, 20 points per 100. And part of this to me is because Brown's then being asked to create a bit more where the ball should still be in White or Holiday's hands. Do you know what I mean? And then... Right. You feature Brown as a scoring guy, and I feel like you, your points per possession, look, they're second, like 100 points they're averaging per 100 possession with Jalen on the floor and Jason off the floor. Where do you feel like it's going wrong? Like, Do you feel like, I don't feel like we can be giving Jalen all of the blame for these performances. No, I, I agree. One thing, you know, what's interesting about JB is he's, arguably my favorite player on the Celtics since he's been with the Celtics. I've loved his development, you know, being the number three overall pick where a lot of people didn't really know what his game was and coming from a very limited skill set into what he's become now. Like Celtics fans should be, and I, as I am, like extremely grateful for how good Jalen Brown has become. When you think back, you know, years before, no one ever thought he was going to be this good. You know, I, th I can remember even a couple of years ago, I think it was the last Kemba year, uh, my brother and I were texting about Jalen's points per game, and we were talking about would he ever be a player that could crack 20 points per game? You know, that was kind of where we were at. Like, what's his ceiling? And that ceiling keeps raising and raising and raising. And now because he's gotten this contract, it does seem like, you know, with JB, 
everyone's expecting him to be as good as Tatum, and he's just not as good as Tatum, but he is very good for what he does on the court, which is score the basketball. You know, he is limited in a lot of other areas of the game, but, you know, what I'm seeing here with JB is something that my brother and I were texting about the other night versus the Raptors is when Jalen Brown has the ball, right? A lot, a lot of times he gets into, gets into trouble when he predetermines what he's going to do. Right. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot of times, you know, his, I, you, you call it processing speed. I've heard you refer to it that way. Um, sometimes I think it's just like when he's, when he's in that high pick and roll, he's only kind of seeing the first couple of reads on the court. It's like a, it's like a quarterback who's like just starting to get their, get their reps and they're not being able to read through their entire progressions and read through those progressions quickly, see the defense, and then the next level manipulate the defense. I don't know that Jalen Brown is ever going to be to the point where he can manipulate the defense in a pick and roll, but if he can read the defense better and read it at a, at a much higher pace, I think he could get there. Right now, I think he he's seeing a couple of things, right? Coming off that pick and roll, basically what JB is able to see right now is does he have the pop man, which is why I think with Porzingis it's working out well because it's a very easy read, right? You come off, you, you get two, and then you know maybe the, the help side wing defender comes over and takes away the pop pass, and then you would have to skip to the wing. Like that's the next read. But really all JB is doing is he's either going if he has an advantage off the pick and roll or he's kicking it back to Porzingis off the pick and roll. And, you know, for a couple of possessions here and there, I think that's enough right now out of Jalen Brown. But if you want to get to a high level offense, you need to be able to manipulate. You need to be able to read. And I think that's kind of where it is with Jalen Brown right now. He's not flowing. That's another term that people like to use. He's not flowing a lot out of the pick and roll. He's kind of just predetermining, I'm either going to pass the ball to Porzingis or I'm going to attack the, the big that's in drop. I like to view him as kind of like a Mac Jones in terms of. Oh, no, of do not say that. Do not no, say I that. Mean, I mean, I was watching, a, I, was, I had no internet yesterday, but I did have access to like my cable package. So I was watching the Patriots play the, um, was it, who were they playing? Was it the Colts? They were playing the Colts. Yeah, maybe yeah, Mac Jones' in, rookie year, but Mac yeah, Jones might be the worst quarterback in football this year. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. But I'm, again, I'm not a football guy, but when you like can't make every read, you know, processing speed's a bit slow. Yep, first yep. game comes to my head is Mac Jones. Now, I want to be fair to Jalen. We showed all the numbers, and I agree with what you're saying, by the way. I think that his number one option is always to drive coming off the pick and roll. He wants to attack the space. He's got that mid-range pull-up as kind of his like counter. So when teams do look, look to build a wall or look to trap him or hedge on him or dig, he can just go into a step-back mid-range shot and be fairly successful there. And he does like that kind of behind-the-back dump off to the, to the pop man. What we're seeing from Tatum this year, and it started last year, it's a lot better this year, is Tatum's recognizing guys two or three passes away out of a double, and we're seeing them big swing passes to the corners, those skip passes to the weak side. Brown, like, I feel like Brown is being a victim of the way we view the modern NBA, where point, being a point forward, a ball handling forward, is the pinnacle of being a forward or a wing. Now, obviously, Brown is playing as a guard. He's still a forward in my mind. He's a wing. But you don't always have to be that, right? A big discussion about LeBron throughout his career has been how he's more Pippin than he is Jordan. While 
Brown is more Jordan than he is Pippin, and there's value in both. I like to talk about, I like to view it as if you could take DeMar DeRozan, put him in a sports science lab and do some Frankenstein shit, you come out with Jalen Brown. Like, you know what I mean? He's like a hyperbolic time chamber, chamber version of what DeRozan was in his prime. But just to be fair, because I know people are going to say, well, you didn't show how the Celtics were doing when Brown wasn't on the court, and it would be disingenuous of us for not to do it. So this is just, and I'll show you the filter. The filter is Jalen Brown off the court, every other player available, so whatever rotations are happening. The Celtics are 34.6 points better with Brown being off the floor than with him being on the floor. Now, again, this has got to do with rotations, combinations, who works well together. It's very easy to have a ridiculously high points differential when you've still got Tatum, Holiday, like Horford, Porzingis to choose from. But it is just indicative of the drop-off when Tatum comes off the court compared right. to when Brown comes off the court is, is so different. There's such a chasm of like talent drop. So let's just talk through what we see on the screen. For our YouTube people, you can see it, right? For everyone that's listening on the pod, what Adam has pulled up here is the the lineup uh, data from Brown off the court on cleaning the glass. So the it seems like, the, if I'm reading this correctly, Adam, the most commonly used lineup with Brown off the court is Peyton Pritchard, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Sam Hauser, and Al Horford. Am I reading that right? Yeah, that's right. So that's okay. the most common one, yeah. Okay, so talk us through this lineup data, the um, the different lineups that are there and which ones are doing well and maybe which ones are, are struggling. Yeah, so the the one that's struggling the most is Pritchard Tatum as a two, Hauser at the three, Horford at the four, and Porzingis at the five, a double big with Brown off the floor. It's only been 17 possessions, so this data is so like marginal, doesn't even, in my opinion, doesn't hold any weight but they are 52.9 points for 100 uh, minus 52.9. They're absolutely god-awful. The only lineup that's worse than that is Drew Holiday, Tatum, Hauser, Brissett, and Cornette, which was minus 90. But again, the possessions were five. It was so minimal. They extrapolate out to see how how it would look over 100. The one you really care about is this one at the top, total possessions, so 200 possessions. So there's been... essentially two games worth of minutes or possessions where Brown has been off the floor to Tatum, uh, to Tatum. The Celtics are 34.6 points. In, and this in, is filtering for garbage time too, right? Yeah, this fil- yeah. which neither of these two guys are going to be on the court anyway, right? right? But yeah, it is filtering for garbage time. I don't think that you pay too much mind to this stuff, but this is the type of data that everybody's using to bash Jalen Brown with. And that's why I thought it'd be good to share it because everyone's like, well, when Tatum comes off the floor, it's a catastrophe. When Brown comes off the floor, everyone's okay. When in reality, it's more about Brown's being asked to do stuff that he's not good at. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or not that he's not good, but he's not exceptional at. So, and I think the contract has a big part in this as well. You know, right. I also think that his defense isn't as good as what we hoped it would be at this point in his career. Like you've got to remember this dude's 27. Like the, the time for those big jumps in development are done. It's going to be increment incremental additions to his game, incremental tweaks. Essentially Brown is who he is. And that's an elite offensive guy that can give you some point of attack defense at times and sometimes can step up as a help defender. He's an all NBA level guy. I don't understand why, everyone's focusing on one thing he can't do rather than the 10 things that he can do. 
Right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to touch a little bit more on that DeMar DeRozan comparison. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay. So before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, if you put DeMar DeRozan in a sports science lab and tweak some shit and enhance some shit, you might come up with Jalen Brown, right? And I do think that's a really apt comparison because before DeMar DeRozan went to the Spurs, where Greg Popovich really entrusted him to be a more point forward than what he was in Toronto, which was just a pure shooting guard, a pure wing. DeMar DeRozan wasn't making the reads that DeMar DeRozan is currently able to make, right? That's all about the reps that he was able to get in San Antonio, away from the national spotlight, where he was just able to develop that part of the game. So when, you know, when we talked earlier in the podcast about Jalen Brown um, kind of playing to his strengths, being a play finisher, as you like to say, I think that's a that was a big debate last year, right? Is do we just say, you know what, Jalen Brown, you're good, you're great at these things, you're a phenomenal off-ball cutter. Like his backdoor cuts are unbelievable. In transition, in the half court, in the empty side, he's able to go backdoor. Chris Tapps had that great pass to him the other night off the backdoor where he finished over Scotty Barnes. Jalen's unbelievable at certain parts of the game and he hasn't had a lot of reps as a pick and roll player we've given him more reps he's starting to as i said he's starting to see very specific parts of that and you know the mac jones comparison adam i know you're not a football guy so you i don't think you maybe recognize the the level to which mac jones is just god awful at this point in his career but you know what's actually interesting is i do think that the amount of hate that Jalen Brown gets is like sort of equivalent to the amount of hate that Mac Jones gets. And it's just unfair to Jalen. I think it's very fair to Mac Jones at this point, but everyone that talks about Jalen Brown, they are so I'm dude. It's just like, it's, it's just mean at this point on some level. It's like, what, what do you, why do you guys want Jalen Brown to fail so much? It seems like so many Celtics fans are just done with him as a player, which is the thing that I don't understand. Right. We can, either one, 
turn him into the Super Saiyan DeMar DeRozan or two, you know, just have him become like a little bit more like DeMar DeRozan when he developed in San Antonio by using the 82 games to experiment more with Jalen Brown in the high pick and roll. So maybe over time, you see these on-off numbers start to level out just a little bit more as the sample size increases. Because I do think Jalen, if given the opportunity, if at the end of the year, Jalen Brown can see the next two passes out of the pick and roll, not just the pass to Porzingis, right? If he can see the that weak side, um, you know, skip pass over the top to the corner, which Jason Tatum just started doing last year, you know, and that was because he had more reps. If Jalen Brown can get to that point by the end of the season, if we just commit to it and understand there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way without saying, oh my God, Jalen Brown, we need to trade him. Like let him develop this year in the high pick and roll. Or I think the other side of the coin is just, you know, we have some really good ball handlers in Derek White and Drew Holiday. They're already pretty good at making reads and manipulating the defense off the pick and roll. Let's just keep JB in the in the play finish role. I think either way could work, but I don't think Celtics fans necessarily should be so goddamn angry every time Jalen Brown makes the wrong read out of the pick and roll. If by the end of, you know, maybe by all-star break, if he's still making some of these decisions that he's making where it's like, hey, Jalen, you predetermined that you were going to attack the big, you didn't see the help side off the corner, and you dribbled into three guys. You know, that those are the plays that are a little frustrated where it seems frustrating, where it seems like JB is like, I'm doing this, and I'm either going to score over two people or I'm going to turn the ball over. And that's kind of the, that's when I get frustrated with Jalen Brown. So my biggest frustration with Jalen Brown is I feel like he's the most sticky player in that starting five in terms of the ball can be pinging around, Tatum's looking for his guy, Paul Zingas is looking, everyone's looking, but Brown's focused on attacking, right? And sometimes I feel like the offense stagnates when Brown is hunting his shots. Mm-hmm. And that can happen in wins as much as it can happen in losses. Against Brooklyn the other day, I felt like Brown, who had a great game, I felt like Brown at times was just it wanted a heliocentric offense around him. He wanted the ball and he, it stuck a lot of the time. And the only thing that bailed the Celtics out of those possessions was one, they'd already smoked Brooklyn and there, there was a lead, there was a cushion. But two, there was a lot of offensive rebounding. There was a size discrepancy there. And that bailed the Celtics out when Brown did take shots that he didn't really need to take. I don't really care about the playmaking, right? Like my my opinion there has been the same for years. You don't need to be a playmaker, a playmaker in terms of creating for others. I do think Brown is actually a really good individual shot creator. He can create shots for himself consistently and that is a version of playmaking so having brown as like a an individual shot creator the way you give him the ball and he creates offense for himself within the flow of the system within the flow of the ball movement i'm fine with it's just a ball movement for me but i do feel like everybody's looking at this new contract he's signed which isn't even active yet let me just point out like he doesn't <laughs> yeah. like he's not earning that money this year he's on his old contract this year but because he signed such a big deal Everybody's expecting this like wild return on investment, and that's not really how it works. And I do just think that the, the I wouldn't say hate, but like the criticism is largely unwarranted considering how he's playing this year. He's had a few bad games, and I get it, you know, you want consistency off one of your stars, but it's no longer a two-star team. Mm-hmm. So that consistency 
is kind of negated a little bit because there's four other dudes that can go out there and give you 40. So I get it, but I do feel like it's a little bit too far. I feel like we have gone a little bit too far in the Jalen Brown hate. Yeah, another thing to just to can I, I think we can probably wrap up the JB conversation, um, you know, in the next couple of minutes. But one other thing I've seen a lot of people put out there, my brother, um, who I respect the hell out of, he knows maybe more about basketball than I do. Um, my coach from high school, Brendan Smith, who, who's like a really big AAU guy in in the Boston scene, um, two guys that I really respect their basketball opinion, do not like Jalen Brown. They just really don't like Jalen Brown. They're kind of out on Jalen Brown, Brendan more than my brother, Charles. Now, one thing that Charles texted to me, and I've seen many people put out there on Twitter, is the idea of Jalen Brown kind of being a front runner when the game is going well and when he's really when he's really feeling it, he can get hot and he can go crazy. Like in the Raptors game, the Celtics started pulling away a little bit. And in the fourth quarter, Jalen had the dunk fest. He had three dunks in the last like, 12 minutes he was on the court and he was just he was just cooking people in the entire second half and it was when the Celtics were up and there wasn't too much pressure on Jalen now what what's it going to be when the Celtics are in these tight games against high level teams what's the Jalen Brown that we get then because we all know Jalen Brown can get hot and he can go on these heaters and have 40 points in a game he can score 18 points in a quarter Jalen Brown is it is like that, right? He He's one of those guys that can really get going. But when we go up against the Miami Heat again, you know, when we go up against the Knicks tonight, we're about to play the Knicks who can get really, really gritty on the defensive end and very handsy on the defensive end. When we play these handsy teams, how is Jalen Brown going to do in big moments? Because that's still kind of where I, I haven't looked at his like crunch time data this year, but those are the, the times where Jalen can get into a little bit of trouble where he tries to force something when it's not really there, when he's not just kind of letting it flow. So that's something also to consider with JB is the difference that we see when the when everything's going right for him versus when things are tough. Yeah, and we saw that. I think the the most recent example of of that was game seven against the Heat. Right when everything's against you right now, the momentum's kind of with Miami. You've clawed, well, you fought your way back. You've forced the game seven. Boom, Tatum gets hurt. Now Brown needs to step up into this bigger role. Things aren't going well for you right now. Brown lays a goose egg, and when I've never really thought about it like that, like does Brown? But when you think back, you're like, right, Brown's biggest performances usually come when the pressure isn't at its highest, right? And I find that. For me, I don't expect players to step up when it's a pressure cooker, but the ones that do are usually the ones that are meant to. Mm-hmm. And there are games I can look back on over the years. I'd have to pull some numbers and stuff, but there are games where I look back and I'm like, J- Jalen Brown won this game, but they're fleeting comp- when it's in terms of like, yo, five minutes, you're in the clutch, you're down by four, somebody needs to bring us home, somebody needs to put this team on their back. That is very rarely Jalen Brown. And mm-hmm. he's been given the opportunity. People, There will be people out there like he's never given the opportunity to do that. No, he's had every opportunity to do that. You're the number two guy behind Jason Tatum. If Tatum doesn't have it cooking, the whole point of you being number two is that then you become number one. You put it on yourself to go and do that. You're on the court. The coaches aren't. So I get that. I do. I feel like he deserves some of the criticism. I, I'm... Personally, I'm nowhere near as high on Jalen Brown as a lot of people are. 
Uh, but I'm also nowhere near as low on him as what a lot of people are. I'm kind of just below a middle ground. I lean more to being out than I am being in. Where are you on him? I love JB, man. But I, I do think it's all about the way that Jalen Brown is able to kind of think about the game of basketball. If he thinks about the game in a very simplified approach where he's like, man, if he looks back at tape, he's like, man, I was really good when I kept it simple. That's when I think Jalen Brown can thrive. I think when he tries to force things um, and he tries to take over, I, that's when I, I think Jalen kind of hurts the overall like flow of the offense. As you said he gets a little sticky with the ball. It's like, yeah, JB, you're cooking right now, hot hand basketball, all that. You are one of the best at getting hot. But there are times where like you can utilize your the way that you're playing and utilize that to the benefit of the other people on your team. And that's the next level, I think, with JB is like, okay, he's super hot right now. You, we all know when Jalen Brown has hit a couple shots, what's he going to do in the next possession? He's going to shoot the ball, right? Like 10 times out of 10. Jalen Brown's probably going to come down the court, left side of the court, and he's going to pull up, up for a three-pointer, right? Like that's kind of what Jalen Brown does. And I think because the word I used earlier, the predetermining of his offense, I think that hurts him, but it also helps him a lot because when he gets hot, it's like, damn, JB's really carrying us right now. But it's once again, it's like the front runner thing. Can you do it when when you're not necessarily feeling it? And those are the times where you need to be able to manipulate the defense. You need to be able to have patience. You need to be able to let the game come to you, which I, you know, there are a couple different games to think of this year, the T-Wolves game and the Sixers game, right? The, the T-Wolves game I thought was probably the best game Jalen has played all year considering it was a close game um obviously he missed the shot in in crunch time that could have won the game but overall i was really impressed with jalen brown he was going up against anthony edwards who as we saw when he's focused on defense can lock up anybody in the league and jalen was kind of cooking him most of the night which is very difficult to do um and, and then in the sixers game you know with this new sixers team that that i'd love to talk about here another handsy team they've got the d'anthony meltons of the world they got Embiid sitting at the rim they got roco batum like all of these guys that can just kind of dig down and just like anticipate when you're about to do something and jalen was pretty god awful in that sixers game let's not lie about that but then in crunch time, right, Jalen hit a couple threes, which I think were that almost brought the team back. And those are the moments where I'm like, you know what, Jalen, you had a shitty ass game and you were one of the worst players on the court, but you were able to make a couple shots towards the end of the game, which I was very happy to see where other people look at that and they're just like, oh, Jalen was fucking awful tonight. He was awful. Yeah, he was. He was he was pretty bad. But like, let's give him his flowers, too, when he's able to like when he's not feeling it, when he's able to step up in those moments, because I don't think anybody is going to give him any credit for hitting those three pointers in the in the fourth against the Sixers to bring us back when we were down by 14 points with two minutes left and we almost won the fucking game, you know, and a lot of that was Jalen Brown hitting big shots. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with JB is like, I, I'm definitely a JB stand. I'm not going to lie about that. Like, I love Jalen Brown. Um, I also just love him as a human being. So I think I'm very biased. Like I, I see just a, like the stuff Jalen Brown 
Brown does off the court to me is just is, is more important than what he does on the court, which is why I want to keep Jalen Brown in Boston. Cause you see all these other stars out there, man. You see like the James Harden of the world and like James Harden's done some nice things for his community and whatnot, put a lot of girls through college. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I do, I do think with, with Jalen Brown, some of the stuff that he does off the court, I'm just like, like the city of Boston needs Jalen Brown. Like he, he is a really important person in the city. And I'm so happy that he's just a guy that you can look to as, as like a role model as well. And then, you know, he's great on the court. He could be better. I want him to improve, but I want him to improve because I do think he's that important to the city. And I hate to trade him um, just because of like us being not as patient as we could be with his development. That hardened line got me, dude. Like, <laughs> man, that hardened line. It was how deadpan it was, right? Just like, yeah, he's put a lot of girls through. <laughs> uh, I, I, the only pushback I'm going to give you there at all, because I agree with everything you said about Jalen off the court. Like, my issues with Jalen are 100% basketball-based. I think as a person, like, he's proven how much of a, like, a high-caliber person he is. You know, always giving back to the community and everything. But the pushback I've got is with remaining patient, how much patience is needed? Like, you've been patient with him. He's been with the team his entire career. Like, and I, this isn't me saying they need to trade him. I actually think he should stick with Boston. I'd like him to win a championship with the Celtics. I'd like him to win multiple championships with the Celtics. I am not on the trade Jalen Brown bandwagon. What I will say is he's 27. He joined the Celtics when he was what, 18, 19? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that the patience has been there. He he's been given all the time in the world to develop. What we're seeing now is there's one very specific area of his game that hasn't developed. And for some reason, everybody focuses on that one area. And I feel like he does so much more in the grand scheme of the game that we can forget about that one area of struggle but we've right. been through that you know yeah, i don't know no, you I, want to touch on the sixes no yeah but I, I i do think that with jb you know like the patience that i'm talking about it's really this year like i want us to give him more reps with Porzingis. he's never had a pick and roll partner like chris Haps porzingis right neither has tatum so i do think that allowing him to develop that chemistry with Porzingis that you've already seen Porzingis talk about. You've seen Missoula talk about it. Like they're developing a chemistry that the two man game, you know, if it becomes dominant enough, that's something that you can lean on. You know, if, if we go to another game seven against Miami, right. And Tatum sprains an ankle again, like what are, what are the Celtics going to do? What are they going to be able to rely on to generate baskets? And if they can develop a real chemistry and if that two-man game becomes difficult with JB being able to even like do some get actions with Porzingis, you know, not just him coming off as, as the, the ball handler, but throwing the ball to Porzingis and coming off like coming off the screen like um, Denver does with Murray and Jokic. Like there are a lot of good things that can happen if we remain patient with the development of those two guys. That's kind of what I'm talking about when, when I say the patience, not not necessarily just saying, hey, JB, go go just stand in the corner and then come off of pin downs and backdoor cuts and all that. Like I want JB to do, to be entrusted to, to do a little bit more this season. And if it doesn't work out and he proves that he's just not really capable of making those reads at some point, we have enough on the roster where we can say JB, like, you know what? This season ain't the season. 
you can just stand over here and like do your business over here and let Drew Holiday run pick and roll, let Derek Wright run pick and roll, let Jason Tatum run pick and roll. Okay, that's completely fair. I mean, I, I was speaking on Twitter the other day about this, well, typing, I should say, I wasn't technically speaking, where running DHO actions is something that a lot of high-level teams do consistently. You have Miami com- feast, absolutely eat people alive with those elbow DHOs between Bam and Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, Denver do a lot of DHO actions on out on the elbows, a lot of elbow actions where they have kind of like a rip screen into an where they have an entry pass followed by a rip screen, and then you get a slasher coming downhill receiving the DHO, and then you'll have Jokic kind of like slow roll for the dump off or whatever. My um the Lakers, when they had their surge last season, a lot of handoff actions. Finding ways to incorporate Brown into those as the slasher could be another way to unlock him as a playmaker because defenses are going to collapse. All he's got to do is jump and make a read out of the jump, swing mm-hmm. it across. You know, there are other ways, like you said, handoff actions, get actions. It doesn't just need to be high pick and roll and flow. Right. right. And you, you know, what's interesting that what you just said about that is like, we were talking about this earlier. If Jalen Brown has one or two reads to make, he can make those reads. He's very capable of doing that. It's just like the manipulation of the defense. So if we do get him in, in those actions and all he has to do is see the pass to the strong side corner, right? He, Jalen Brown can do that. Jalen Brown's a, is capable. Yeah. He's more than capable of doing that. And it's just, you know, you can put him in a position to succeed as a playmaker, just by saying, right, we're going to move the pick and roll to the side. We're not going to use a pick and roll. We're going to use a DHO on the elbow, and we're going to set you a screen to come off. And you can create for yourself or for others out of this instance. Maybe it's not so much that Jalen Brown's not a great initiator as it's he's just not great at running a pick and roll. There's other ways to help him succeed there, but it does mean tweaking the way the offense is run. Yeah, and if you go empty side pick and roll, right? Like it, Which it, they've done a lot. Right, that cuts down a lot of the reads that he has to make. So I, I do think that that's something to consider. Okay, uh, we've touched on, we did 35 minutes on Jalen Brown. We're going to take our last break of the podcast. When we come back, I do think we should talk about what's happening in Philadelphia because Tyrese Maxey, my God. Okay, we're back. Tyrese Maxey last night went for 50 points against the Indiana Pacers. And it does seem like anybody can kind of get off against the Pacers. But one thing that I'm definitely concerned about is the Maxey Embiid pick and roll. Towards the end of the game last night, Adam, Joel Embiid, who also had 37 points on his own, so they had 87 points between the two of them, speaking of two-man games. um, Joel Embiid, who by all accounts, has kind of been a little bit of a selfish teammate over the years, was looking to get Maxi his 50. The last couple possessions on the court, he was like, he was very excited when Maxi scored 47, and then he demanded the ball at the top of the key to go dribble handoff with Maxi to get him open for one more three-pointer to get 50, and he was elated to see Tyrese Maxey get to that 50. So the chemistry that's building in Philadelphia and the confidence with with which Tyrese Maxey is playing this year, I'm kind of scared. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if you saw it, man, but to begin the season, I think it was during training camp, during preseason, Embiid was asked what the biggest difference was between Nick Nurse and Doc Rivers. Did you see that? Yes, I did. So And Embiid turned, Embiid's answer was, well, Doc was very much isolation and Nick Nurse is very much team-centered. He wants the ball to move. He wants everybody to be involved. And we're seeing that with the way that Philadelphia are playing, right? So 
like when you look at how Embiid has been quote unquote selfish throughout his career, a lot of the time that's been the scheme as well as his own desire to be the number one guy. Now he's got a running mate in Maxi that isn't like Harden where he's came in and demanded the ball, demanded the shots. Maxi is literally evolving into an elite guard. And I feel like his relationship with Embiid has been developed over the years. You know, Maxi came in as a rook. We don't know what the behind the scenes kind of uh, friendship with those two has been like or how that's developed in the last couple of years. But now to see Embiid kind of looking to set Maxi up for 50, looking to feed Maxi and seeing how well Maxi's game blends in with Embiid, you know, the speed versus the power. Maxi can drive, draw, kick, Embiid's open. Embiid can low post, draw, kick out. Maxi can hit the shots. Everything just feels like, and I've seen people joke about this, but it's kind of like a Kobe and Shaq pairing in terms mm. of just dead eye shooting and a bit with some like you know physicality and then a big man that just dominates on the post the only difference is obviously Shaq was more physically dominant and bead can hit middies can shoot free throws yeah, can stretch bit, the floor a little bit more finesse despite yeah. having the physical profile you know it's interesting you talked about their relationship they um they interviewed Embiid after the game and they were talking about what Maxi kind of brings to the table and he was talking about like Maxi's energy and his infectious personality when he shows up in the morning. He was like, when when Maxi gets into the into the facility, he's smiling, he's bubbly, he's full of energy, and Embiid's like, that's just not me. Like I'm not like that at all. But this guy, every day, he brings the same energy, and you can see that joy that Maxi plays with on the court. He's always smiling, he's always bouncing around, um, and it it's scary to see. You know, with Harden, last year when we played the Sixers, I would have been really disappointed if the Celtics lost to the Sixers because I didn't think that team really had any chemistry. And you see the team so far this year without Harden, without all the bullshit that James Harden brings to the table, and they're just able to play free, and they've empowered Maxi to be to step up into this new role. As we've talked about, Sam Cassell was saying, this dude's ready, this dude's ready. Like he was saying that when he was on their staff. And Maxi definitely looks like he's ready and when the Celtics played the Sixers the other night, although Maxi didn't necessarily get off to the point where he's getting off against other teams, I had a text message from my buddy Mark, and he he said, "We got six months to solve the Tyrese Maxi problem." And it's <laughs> true, dude. It's true. I wrote it in my takeaways at the time, and a lot of people disagreed. But Maxi's pace, his physicality, and the fact that he can score from literally anywhere, create off the dribble, create for others off the bounce, run a pick and roll, and bring the best out of Embiid all together. So like it's a championship level duo and it's a duo that no one expected to be dominating the way it is to begin the season. You come into the season, it's Milwaukee and Boston. Those are your two threats. The Sixers aren't going to be there. Harden's fucked it up. He's bounced. It's Embiid and everybody else. It's not enough. And all of a sudden Max is like, hold my beer. And now we're like, oh shit, this team's for real. And figuring mm -hmm. out a way to slow down Maxi is going to be key because Nick Nurse, I think, I wouldn't say he's a better coach, but he is at the t this time in modern NBA. Nick Nurse is a better coach than what Doc Rivers is. Yeah, and I would I agree with that. I think that that's going to play a huge part in any seven-game series. Adding the fact that Maxi is looking like the type of guard Boston struggles with in general throughout the entire Tatum and Brown era, regardless of who's in charge, regardless of who the other players on the floor are, and then the Embiid factor, 
man, it's going to be tough. You've got to figure that shit out and you've got to win the next few games against them in the regular season just to get that mental advantage, just to continue living in their heads because that does play a part once you're in a post-season series. Yeah, and speaking, you know, going back to our guy Jalen Brown, um, there was that one possession against Maxi late in the game against Philly where he blocked Maxi's uh, mid-range shot. You know what I mean? Like, we need to find somebody on the team that gives Maxi some issues and that just makes him uncomfortable on the court because that that was a moment out of JB. You know, we talked about the three pointers he hit, but that was another big moment where he blocked Maxi and no one really gave JB credit for that. Those are those uh, plays that really energize you, man. They breathe life. Absolutely. And, you know, with Maxi, he's so quick. As you said, he's the kind of archetype of player that's given the Celtics issues over the years where it could be anybody from Ish Smith to to Tyrese Maxey you know what I mean like it doesn't matter if if you're quick and you're slithery off the pick and roll and you're able to create space off the first dribble coming off the screen into that open space the Celtics struggle with that and I do think that we have the the type of defense that could give Maxey issues if we sit in a drop not a deep drop I probably wouldn't go deep drop against Maxey because he's such a prolific um, floater you know floater shooter and mid-range shooter but if, if we have somebody chasing over the top with length, like a Tatum, like a Brown, we have Drew Holiday, we have Derek White, we have all the guards that could do it. And then we have Porzingis sitting in drop. You know, there is definitely the ability to do that. One thing that has got, kind of got me thinking is the matchup so that we can um, kind of switch, switch those actions, right? We had Drew Holiday guarding Joel Embiid a little bit in that game. And I do think part of the reason is because that kind of negates the pick and roll, right? If you go Drew Holiday on Joel Embiid to start a possession and they want to go Maxi Embiid pick and roll, well, if you do that, then if you start with Tatum on Maxi and you start with Holiday on Embiid and they go pick and roll, well, you just switch Tatum onto Embiid and Holiday onto Maxi. And it's like not that much of an issue, you know, um, especially if Embiid's just going to sit at the three point line. But those are the things to you just kind of keep thinking about as as we move forward along in the season against the Sixers. Tyrese Maxey's a problem. It's really cool to see him, you know, as, as much as I don't like the Sixers, um, I like Maxey. I like him as a player. And I, yeah, I, man. I think it's fun to see him become who he's becoming. The city of brotherly love has two brothers that finally love each other. It's only took about fucking 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus <laughs> Christ. How many times have they been trying to do this? I will say, look, I remember when Maxi was being drafted and I was talking to Brendan Nunes, shout out Brendan, and he was like, yo, one of the biggest comps Maxi had coming out of college was like a bigger, stronger version of Marcus Smart. And I was like, dude, I don't need that on the Celtics, man. Like now looking back, one, Brendan was kind of right, but very wrong at the exact same time. And two, could you imagine the Celtics team with Maxi as well? If they like, it's just crazy, dude. Yeah, Maxi yeah. is really developed. He's uh he's an all star again this year. Who keeps playing this way? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he. I don't think he's as strong as Marcus Smart. As Marcus Smart has like that old man strength. Where, <laughs> you know, Maxi's never gonna guard one through five, but I think he he has a lot of functional strength for sure. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to touch on? We're playing the Knicks tonight. Um, do you want to touch on anything with the Knicks or do you want to just kind of wrap it up here? Yeah. So I, I'm easy either way. I mean, we can talk about Mitchell Robinson, but I've kind of got, a, I've sent you a message earlier about a whole episode idea yeah, of yeah, that, yeah. which should be good after the game. Cause we'd have an cool. additional sample size. Yeah. I will just say that the Knicks have won three straight 
They beat the Clippers, which isn't hard since James Harden went there. Shock, shock, horror. They beat the Wembenyana Spurs, and then they beat the Hornets. So they are on a three-game win streak, but if we're being serious with ourselves, those were three games they should be winning. But mm-hmm. they're going to come in with more momentum, a little bit more of a feel-good factor. Julius Randle's still struggling from the perimeter, so expect him to be doing more on the post-up. Uh, Jalen Brunson, again, is Jalen Brunson. I'm not worried, man, but I do think that New York are going to be feeling themselves coming into this game, and it might be misplaced confidence. Right, and the Celtics are finishing off a home stand tonight, so I, I expect the Celtics to get the win before we head out on the road. Um, yeah, I, 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 we can hold off on the Knicks conversation. Um, okay, well, we can kind of wrap up the, the episode there, get this up for everyone to listen. Those of you that are tuning in on the pod, make sure you're subscribing to our YouTube channel as well. Go watch this on YouTube. We had a lot of stats pulled up today that, that you could kind of reference there. And in general, um, you know, we're going to be putting out a lot of great content. Adam's got some plans for more stuff going up on the YouTube channel. Shout out to our guy, Will. We miss you, buddy. Uh, can't wait to hear your stories from attending the first ever NBA in-season tournament game at TD Garden. And with that, we're going to play you out with some music from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We are called Black Sheep Optimists, and this one is called Get This High. Peace, everybody. Love you. Every time I get this high, I lose my mind. It don't take much no more until I hit the floor. Every time I get this high, it's you I find. It don't take much no more. You cut me to my core, baby What can I say? You got me on the floor You know I came to play I know I shouldn't But you seem to take my pain away And every time I score Jason Tatum fade away I close my eyes And I'm floating in your river